or if they if you have oily discharge, you know, you may want to ask your doctor about fucking weed. Josh is making notes. Oily discharge. Yeah, cut at oily discharge. <laughs> I actually wasn't paying attention. I'm texting Nifty. <laughs> oh, all I heard was oily discharge, and my ears perked up. Exactly. Oh, if it was illegal to say stupid things into a microphone, why must you be so stupid? These guys would be doing life without parole. Hey, everybody, we're back from prison. Why do we keep encouraging this kind of behavior? It's the Breaking the Ice podcast with Josh Dolan. You know, we could, like, go to jail for this. Along with Mike Shu and Isaiah Moscahanna Bonsa Mana Blitz Boskowitz. Whatever the hell his name is. Nifty. How you doing, sir? There, you, there I am. There you guys are. Well, well. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the garden with your number. It's, you know. Oh, you are. <laughs> yeah. Been a long time. I got to get that background. <laughs> oh, I, I, I Googled your name. Some interesting things came up, sir. We should talk about that. Oh, really? Oh, boy. Yeah. It's all lies. Don't believe anything you see on the internet. Well, thanks Only for joining us. You. <laughs> He'd never lie. Well, thank, thanks a lot for joining us, uh, Mr. Middleton. We appreciate it. And uh, Nifty, please. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Yes, Nifty. Uh, if you don't know, was uh, let's see, spent twelve seasons with the Bruins, and and uh, how many total in the NHL? Fourteen. Okay, so so the majority of that with the Bruins. And one in the American League. My first year uh, when I got drafted by the Rangers, I played in Providence for the Providence Reds. So the I was in New England when I was nineteen years old. I lived in Cranston, Rhode Island. Love it. Wow. Yeah. The home of Narragansett beer. Exactly. Yeah, man. <laughs> Did a few of those flow when you were early in your career? Did I what? Did a few of those flow early in your career? Well, you know, surprisingly, being a good Canadian boy, I wasn't a big beer drinker. <laughs> what? I was, I was more of a Canadian club type of a guy. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. There you go. Uh, yeah. Nice. Well, you were you were captain for a few of those years in the mid '80s yes. uh, with the Bruins, and I just want to get your opinion on uh, in the wake of Zdeno Chara leaving the Bruins. What what kind of effect does that have on a team? A player like Chara, and then a team captain leaving. Well, you you hate to lose any team when you have a unit together like they have had for quite a while, especially you know Bergeron, Marchand, you know. The, the team has changed since the 2011 Cup team, but uh, these guys are still there, and you really hate to see one of your good buddies leave. I mean, back when I played, uh, you didn't have free agency, so there wasn't a lot of movement. So your team really stuck. To, if you had a good team, you, you guys stuck together for a lot of years. You know, uh, Peter McNabb and I roomed together for eight years before he got traded uh, away. It happens to everybody. And that's what you tell yourself. It happens to everybody. It could happen to me next year, or, you know. Um, but he was the captain. He was their leader. He's certainly a physical force out there. Mm. And whether, you know, you think that he's lost a step or he's, you know, he's not, certainly not the Sedano Chari was 10 years ago, but none of us are. Um, I think he could still help that team out. But I also think that they needed to give ice time to some of their younger guys that hadn't been getting it because you got to do the transition sooner or later. Mm -hmm. And they, I think they just thought this year was the perfect year with no fans in the building. Right. <laughs> that's, what, 
let's bring these young guys up and, uh, and, and see what they can do. But, um, and Z hasn't given them like a, a finale, like every year, it's one more year, it's one more year. And I think um, a combination of a lot of those things. But if he had to say, well, I'll play one more year and then, you know, I'd like to get into management somewhere, you know, with the team and, you know, they might've worked out a deal with them, but uh, I think Z wants to play for at least another two or three years. I, I was just wondering also about, um, you know, what it takes to be a captain in the NHL. There's no like, is there like a set standard? Like, are there rules to that? Or is that just something that each team decides on a case by case basis? You know, what does it take yeah, to be a captain on an NHL team? I, you know, it's, it's a leadership thing. It's uh, usually guys that have been around for a little while that have proven that they're good teammates. Uh, the rest of the guys on the team respect them. They, some guys, you know, are raw, raw guys in the dressing room and other guys just show it on the ice. You know, you, you, you're not standing up giving speeches before every game. No. But if something happens in, within the team that needs to be, be a little straightened out or somebody needs a little pull aside and talk to, the captains usually do that, you know, uh, without telling anybody. Uh, you know, we never had experienced that in Boston pretty much, but because um, in Boston, the thing I learned early when I got there is you don't let the other guy down. I mean, that, you, you had the respect. You had the continuation of leadership from uh, Johnny Busick to Wayne Cashman to Terry O'Reilly and then Ray and myself and then Ray ultimately. You know, it was just an honor for me to be considered uh to be a captain and to be a co-captain with Ray was an ultimate honor. I mean, outside of having the, the number retired, you know, being being named the captain of a team, an NHL team, is one of the greatest honors you can have. I was going to say, what, what? go ahead, Josh, go. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I didn't even realize until they named Bergeron the captain and they said he was the 20th captain. I'm like, since 1924, wow. there's only been 20? <laughs> doesn't seem like enough. One. Can you name the first one? The first one? Was was it Eddie Shore? I don't know. Yeah. Oh no, very good, but no. Uh, Mel Schmidt. No, no. <laughs> Back to the twenties. Craig Craig Cleghorn. Cleghorn. That's a nineteen twenties name. name. Wow. In our alumni suite, we have the captain's pictures all up there, from the first one to the last. Yeah. You mentioned the honor of being named uh, named co-captain or being named a captain. What was a what was a bigger day? I'll give you three dates: 1973 when you got drafted by the Rangers, the day you got named captain, or potentially the entire season 81-82 when you had what 51 goals. You mm -hmm. got the Lady Bing Trophy, and you were named to one of what three All-Star teams. Which one of those dates bigger? Uh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that question before. I'm different. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to say the draft. Sure. I'd have to say the draft. I right. thought you were going to say the retirement, and then I'd go with that one. I, I left that. That's for a next question. That's for yeah, I mean, that, that's no, up here. Because you know, you um, the draft is, is you never know from year to year, and right. and really your your last year you know you might have had some maybe you're one of those players like say a uh, dennis potvin played five years in my era 
five years in junior for the Ottawa 67s. I played two, you know, so he had great, everybody knew he was going to go number one. They probably knew it three years before. <laughs> but with me, I only played two, I played a year of B when I got drafted by the junior, uh, by the generals, Oshawa generals, because I wasn't big enough. And then I, I only played two years of junior. And my last year turned out to be the best year of my whole career. I led the league in goals and third in points. And all of a sudden I was like first round, you know, material. So it's, it, it was to me a surprise too. I didn't see it. <laughs> I like doubled my goal goal uh, i think i had 36 my first year and 67 my second wow it's uh, my left winger scored over 50. <laughs> we had the high scoring line that's got to be the best day in, 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 a, in a kid's uh, well, you know you life being drafted all, you stay at the royal york or whatever it right. was in those days. it wasn't on tv your mom and dad <laughs> you know being proud canadian parents yeah right. you know unbelievable unbelievable and then I you sit there and you wait because you've heard all the rumors. Oh, you know, Buffalo's interested, or you know, I, I never really heard the Rangers that much before him. And but you, you don't know. When am I going to go? Am I even going to go in the first round? You know, that's cool. The money wasn't there like it is today, so <laughs> you're really not thinking dollar figures. Although you know you're probably going to get more money if you go in the first round. Right. And uh, and then when they call me, uh, which I don't have a very clear memory of, but uh, I just kind of it's kind of like the whole thing ties in in my brain. But uh, I remember my mom and dad were just uh, on top of the world. Yeah. Didn't the, the Bruins like sign Bobby Orr by like they convinced yeah. him by being like, hey, we're we're, we're going to buy your parents like a new fridge or something. And they're like, well, OK, what happened, man, when, uh, before um, before expansion of 68, the junior teams in Canada were sponsored or owned by NHL teams and the Bruins owned the Oshawa Generals and honest God this is I read this uh, story they were looking at Bobby at 12 years old wow to play and they wouldn't obviously his mother wouldn't let him leave, go live in Oshawa <laughs> let my kid become 13 let him be a teenager <laughs> they, they sent um oh what's his name I'll think of it, it, it uh, Ren Blair he used he went to Minnesota in the expansion. He worked, I think he was the GM of the Minnesota North Stars at one time. They sent him to Perry Sound, Ontario to live there and make sure nobody else got to Bobby. Oh, really? And then the wow. story goes, I don't know, when he was 14 or 15, the, the rink burned down in Oshawa, and the generals had to play all their games in Toronto. So his mother let him sign a deal with the generals, which made him Boston Bruins property. Wow. And drive from Perry Sound to Toronto and drive home for the game, not stay over anywhere, so he could play the games in Toronto and drive home. That's the story I heard. Jeez, yeah. uh, 14, 15. Bobby Orr was pretty good, huh? You, you didn't have to be twenty <laughs> to be drafted in those days. You could play, I think, at any age. Eighteen. Wow. Bobby came up at eighteen. And, uh, yeah, Bobby was a little different. And then you and him yeah. ended up having the same agent, didn't you? Uh, well, that's another story. Yeah, he was a good guy, I'm huh? Getting that, Josh. <laughs> Alan Eagleson, yeah, yeah. Alan Eagleson. That's it. We could do a whole show on that one. <laughs> we could do an extra episode if that was a bad experience you feel like sharing. <laughs> I don't want to get sued. He's still alive. Oh God. How was it you had you had the legendary Don Cherry as a coach? How was that guy oh, yeah. to be you know, he 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 from from what I can recall 
made you a better player. But I want to hear it from you, not from what oh, I read. Absolutely. You know, when I when I got drafted, I was an offensive guy, and you know, obviously, sixty-seven goals in junior, you're not in your own end a lot. And uh, <laughs> so I go to New York, and my uh, well, I go to Providence. I had a pretty good year in Providence, won Rookie of the Year in the American League. Then I get up to New York, and I got eighteen goals by Christmas. Then I got a stick in the mouth, lost four teeth and sixteen <laughs> stitches. And I went to play three games in Minnesota a week later. I went over on my ankle and fractured my ankle. So that was a bad week. I ended up with 22. And then the next year was the year of the big trade in New York. You didn't really have a very good year. But when I got to Boston, I, I was known as a goal scorer. But nobody ever taught me that there's another end of the rink. I mean, you <laughs> have the responsibility in your own end, too. You mean the, the, two, the two-way player thing? Yeah, yeah. What, what is that? <laughs> right. Don tried to like uh, force it through my brain by attrition of ice time, but he, his problem was he played me. My first game was the Bruin with Terry, uh, with um, uh, Jean Rattel and Johnny Busick, and I got a hat trick my first game. So now I got three. Now how's he going to bench me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he did. He didn't bench me. Platoon me. I played right wing, left wing. You know. In those days, they had a really good team, and you just didn't walk into a lineup, take somebody's job. And so, but I didn't know what he wanted all year. I'd look at Peter McNabb and go, what the hell does he want? You know, but, um, but then I started playing more the next year in 78. And by 79, you know, regularly shift. And, uh, and that was Don's last year. But I always credited him, him with not only helping me learn both ends of the ice and how to, how to, how to play like that. Uh, the complete game, I call it. Um, but uh, he he would never, you know, have me kill a penalty or anything. I was on the power play once in a while. But he also played me left wing. And then in 1981 Canada Cup, I made the team, Canada team, on left wing because they had injuries. And if I had never, Don never played me on left wing, I probably never would have made the team. That's cool. In but 84, you, you won the Canada Cup gold. How was that day? How was, how was that experience? Well, 84, and they didn't tell me going in that they put me on a line with Gretzky. Gretzky oh. and, and, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, Goulet on left wing. And uh, so all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, my God. I'm, you know, even though I'm older than Gretz, Gretz is Gretz. And I'm, I'm, I, got, I didn't get nervous, but it really made me – like key my game up because I know he was always going to be in the right position and I better be in the right position when he got the puck because I know he's going to try to get it to me. So it was, it was, it, uh, it, it raises your game. When you're playing with players like that, you got to really raise your game up and focus so much that you're doing the right thing. Unfortunately, the team never gelled very well and we finished fourth out of six teams in the round robin. And that's why we played the Russians in the semifinals. And we beat them 3-2 in overtime at the Saddle Dome. And then we played the Swedes two out of three final. We beat them two straight but uh, for the goal, uh, uh, whatever you call it. <laughs> in 81, we, 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 uh, we beat the Russians 7-3 at the Montreal Forum in the round robin. They kicked our butt 8-1 in the final. That was the same team that the U.S. team beat in 1980. Wow. They beat us 8-1. It was 1-1 halfway through the game. That's how explosive those guys are. Jeez. Wow. They had Trechiak in that. The last time I think Trechiak played in a real big game. Damn. What what other players have you played with that have had that effect on you, like Gretzky? Like you say, you get to someone who's who's like that, and you you know you well, kind of, it Donald kind of raises Bell, your game. 
mainly centerman, Jean Rattel. Uh, when I was in New York, I, I could never play on his line because Rod Gilbert was always his right wing. Mm -hmm. So I didn't play on a line with Raddy, we call him, until I got to Boston. And then, you know, future Hall of Famer. I mean, he was 35 years old when he came to Boston. Wow. <laughs> so for another five years. So, uh, again, just a brilliant centerman. And when you're a winger, you got to be in the right place at the right time because he, he's going to know, he's going to be looking for you, you know, whether it's the defensive zone, the neutral zone, the offensive zone. And, and then Barry Peterson and I just kind of had that chemistry that we thought there might be a problem because he was a right-handed center and getting the puck over to me on his backhand or whatever. But no, he, he always knew exactly when I like to get the puck right around center ice. So I can get my head up and don't get killed. And uh, I have a time to, in those days, you can slow the, if, if the defenseman, or they call it the gap today, but if the defenseman was too far from me, I'd try to slow down. So then he's got to slow down. And then he's almost flat footed. By the time I'm, I speed up going over the blue line, he's back in on his goalie. I've got him. You know, so, but you can't slow down these days. Too much back pressure with back checking. Who do you think the best player on the ice is right now in the NHL? Just pick one. <laughs> That's tough. I don't even know them all. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I don't even. Know. I mean, one one that one that really just sticks out in your mind, like wow, that that kid or that player is like, you know, when you watch players like Mario Lemieux, you watch players like Sidney Crosby, you look at players like Bobby Orr back in your day. See them now, you know, you know, especially the West. You know, Connor McDavid. How often do you get to see him play? Right. You know, um, you got to get the center ice package or, or whatever. You know, he right. got a hat trick in his first game this year. Right. And the team's struggling. They, they don't have the depth there. The secondary scoring, similar to what Boston has. I mean, Boston is, is going to go by their top line, like always. Right. They don't have a lot of secondary scoring. Edmonton suffers from that, too. Um, to me, uh, the biggest difference is goalies. You look at the, at the first um, the first series against New Jersey. Blackwood, he's six foot four. I had to Google him. He's six <laughs> foot four, two hundred and twenty five pounds. He was he was bent over like Terry Sawchuk, and his back was hitting the crossbar. <laughs> yeah, he's bigger than the Nets. I'm like, how the hell? <clears throat> this guy? I, said, I could never play today because I was there's no five hole. You know, right. I go down with the butterfly. I, I used to like to dunk up through the legs. You know, the puck half the time wouldn't hit the back of the net. It would just kind of wobble over the line. You know, but what like the goalies, the goalies are, are un, un, unbelievable. For me, I think. And the pads are unbelievable too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they didn't have pads like that back then. Style, the conditioning, and the size. It's like right. I think Rask, I mean, people for some reason have doubts about Tuka Rask, and I think it's just because he had just had to up and leave, you know, in that last season, and I think that kind of threw well, a lot that of was, people. That was a little weird, yeah. Yeah, little but that weird. was that was for, you know, family. There was a family uh, emergency, right? I mean, you got to – I don't I don't understand how people can't cut him some well, Nobody really that. knew. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, my, my daughter fell off the, uh, you know, they had a car accident. Or something. Nobody really knew what happened. He just left. And he didn't leave it open that he might even come back. It was like, mm. I'm out of here. And, and, you know, some people looked at it, I'm sure, as, uh, you, you know, taking off on your team and leaving them hanging. Um, but the players didn't and the team didn't. So, you know, it, it, 
they left that open in that strange situation of the bubble. Guys could leave or not even come, not even play. Right. Yeah. yeah. The I think the only reason that I have any doubts in Tuka Rask is when I was uh, covering the Bruins for WEI and I was in the locker room all the time and he would take his equipment off, I realized me and him have the same exact body and I should not be in the NHL. <laughs> I'm like, we have the same build. He is, and, and so are you. You must be in really good shape, Josh. <laughs> not really. <laughs> Well, the pandemic has bulked us up a little guys, bit. All those guys are skinny dudes. They they have like three percent body fat on them. Yeah, you know? <laughs> not like our day. <laughs> they got to be wiry. They got to be flexible and wiry, right? They got to, you know. Oh well, yeah, but go strong. with the reflexes. I mean, strong as hell. I mean, yeah. You don't have to have a lot of fat on you to be strong. <laughs> <laughs> the speed compared to when you played. The way the the way the NHL is these days is night and day. I mean, just just the fact that helmets, you know, they need to be wearing more than helmets. It it is a faster, continuous game, but mm. you know, I, I always think that our game was pretty good. I mean, you, you you look at some games. Oh yeah, okay, you're out there. I mean, back in the day, even early in my career, with the you know Phil Esposito taking the three minute shift. You'd, you'd, you'd pace yourself out there. You, you wouldn't be certainly going full out uh, <laughs> for three minutes or you'd be, you know, her, uh, uh, you know a, a strong man or something. But now today, they, they've, they've got so much uh, information on the athletes, how many minutes each one can play uh, before they kind of break down mentally, physically. And they just top it off that if they know if you're working full out as hard as you should be working, you shouldn't be out there more than 45 seconds. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, they know that. And, and that's, that's what happens. But that's, that's, in my day, you, you come off when you're tired. That's yeah. how much Josh works every day, about 45 seconds. That's he gets tired and he has yeah. to take a nap. He likes those shifts. <laughs> but, but he goes hard. Yeah, yeah, hard. It's, hard. it's hard. not about the amount of time, Isaiah. It's what you do in that amount of time. In those 45 seconds, you're killing right. it. I love you're it. You're not pacing yourself. No. <laughs> but also, was, as compared ahead, to back ahead, in the day, uh, a consi- you know, when we're if we're talking about the pace of the game and mm-hmm. monitoring the athletes, uh, as opposed to when, like, say, you back in your day or back when you started, and now they're watching, like, there's, it's like, you know, what nutrition works best for each mm-hmm. athlete. And you know the you know what vitamins, what supplements, what liquids they should be taking in. And then in your day, what was it? It was like you guys had a fridge full of beer in the, in the locker room, right? And yes. you, like, not, you know, I see I see Sanderson in those old videos smoking buns <laughs> for you know, a while. In the locker room on camera, you know, yeah, so- not the locker room. Uh, we we uh, that they did just before I came into the league, probably up to about 1970. They'd be smoking cigars with the actors. Yeah. That's awesome. I had to sneak downstairs to have my cigars. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> no, but I, I came in. I, I was in, when I played, it was the changeover. I always, I'm happy when I did play because I caught the end of old time hockey. That was, I call that like up until 79 when the helmet rule came in. Right. I played with Eddie Jockerman and Rod Gilbert and Robert, Dow, you know, guys that I idolized growing up. And the game was different. I mean, you look at some of the tapes. Okay, it's not as fast as today, but you could uh, clutch and grab and slash. And oh, yeah. And then there was always a couple of fights in the game. Some of them took three hours. You know, it, it was a whole <laughs> And then we flew commercial. We had to stay over in cities for two oh, weeks. You know, it was, it was a grind. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. And then you go to training camp to get into shape. And then all of a sudden, 1980, the helmet rule came in and American players started coming in. And the Americans were training year round to catch up to the Canadians. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, these guys are training year round. Now you got to train year round. And then you have to go, in, go to training camp to get into shape. And by the time the 90s rolled around, these guys, you know, it wasn't, you had to be in shape and you had to be at a certain level of conditioning before you even got into camp. But in our day, you just showed up and you did two a days, boring as hell, until, you, <laughs> you know, for two weeks before you play a game. And that's and that's two a days in Fitchburg, Mass, too. I mean, that, that is a real world. In the late 70s, and they're, they're still talking about that today. <laughs> yeah. When the Brewers you- were there. How do you think this year, obviously, it's a much shorter season. I mean, this COVID thing has jacked everything up, but it's a much shorter season with 52 games. Uh, The Canadians can't come to America, and the Americans can't go to Canada, so the Canadians are up there doing their thing for now. Um, But look at the Bruins. I mean, you you play the people in your division eight times. I mean, talk about reintroducing rivalries. It's sad that, like, the Bruins won't play the Canadians. That's what happened when we were playing, when I was playing. Okay. You had the Montreal, Boston, you hate each other, you play so often. Then you had to play the first two rounds of the playoffs just to get out of your own division. Right. You know, it was, the, the first two rounds are harder than the last two rounds if you got to the Stanley Cup. Right. Strange was the first two rounds were always physical. Knock, knock them down, punch them out. And then you get into the skating round because you right. didn't have the animosity because you didn't play these guys very much. Right. So you didn't have the same hatred. And then by the time, if you got to the Stanley Cup finals, uh, except in the 70s with Montreal, we always seemed to hit them, you'd hit like a, a juggernaut. And we hit the Islanders in the early 80s and, and yeah. in the late 80s. So there's just always that one other team. That, uh, That's what's going to suck about this year is not seeing, you know, a Bruins-Canadians game, really? That's like not seeing a Red Sox-Yankees game. What are oh, we, really? They could, uh, I don't know, can they play in the finals or they uh, can only yeah, play? Yeah, I, I would imagine that they could, in the, when the playoffs come around. They have to. They're, no, yeah, they, they have, have to. to. What what divisions are going to play each other? Are I'm they, not sure. Are they in the East? Those two divisions are in the East? Or how do they, I don't know how they lined it up because you got to have semifinals first. Which two divisions play right. each other? Right. And, and right. they're going to have to figure out some kind of bubble situation because if you spend the whole season – where the Canadian teams are in Canada and the United States teams are here, there very well could be a, you know, Boston, Toronto. There have to be, there, ha- be there has to be something. Like all final. Entire that, wow. But, you imagine that. That would be great. There's some pretty strong teams out there this year. I don't yeah, know. there are. And you, but I think it's great. Shorter season. You got to get out of the box, you know, like a horse yeah. race. If you get left behind early, you don't have that time to catch up. You got COVID. Look at Dallas. They haven't even started the season yet. You know, they're going to be playing a lot of minor league guys right out of the box probably, right? And then um, you got totally changed the vision. I mean, I think the Canadians are loving it because they get to see all their teams play each other. Right. They're yeah. guaranteed at least one's going to get in the, in the semifinal. <laughs> right. That's funny. I was going to ask about like what the effect of a, a shortened season would have on the game and the players. You kind of just explained it a little bit there, but also just playing people in your particular division and playing. How would you say Isaiah? They, they see each other eight, eight times. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so the Bruins will play like the flyers eight times. Eight They'll times, be the devils oh, eight yeah. times. Eight times. 
and yeah, back. Right. Back. The right. games are back to back, so it's almost like playoff style now. Well, you know, look at the New Jersey series. Something happened in the first game. Uh, uh, Wood running uh, grass a couple of times. Yep. First minute of the second game. I love you that. Don't to, you don't have to wait for a month before you play <laughs> them again. Yeah, there's no cooling off period. Yeah. Yeah, no, yes, so there will be more fights. Uh, I, I think in, in certain Good. series, you're going to have that physical games and you're going to be able to remember it in the next game, two days right. later. Right. Forget it. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting that the two teams that meet each other in a playoff situation from two different divisions, like, will not have really seen each other you know not have had played each other so it'll be yeah. like a, a totally new that's to me that's really interesting i mean i, I don't know if, if it really matters look at the finals against vancouver hmm. in 11 right it, they didn't play each other a lot during the year so there no. wasn't that hatred but that yeah. hatred started after the first game the second oh, yeah. the fighting yeah. you know and all of a sudden that turned into a hell of a series. Who was it that, that, that brought up the dirty water and put it on the ice? On the water, yeah. Yeah, that was Horton. That was Horton. Horton. Yeah. He brought a bottle full out. of Boston water and poured it all over their ice. It's like, yeah, yeah. we're bringing the dirty water to Vancouver. That was awesome. That was awesome. But, but the series didn't start out with a lot of animosity, but it certainly grew into it. They got familiar. Yes. <laughs> I learned to hate you. Yeah, it became good friends. The Vancouver fans still hate Boston people, really. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah. Oh, well. Hey, so on November 29th and 18th, that was when number 16 got retired. Uh, your number got retired, you know, after after playing all those years with the Bruins. A, congratulations on that. That's why Thank I put you. this up here. Thank but you. how was that phone call you got from Cam Neely? Uh, it, you know, I certainly never forget it. And Actually, he called me and missed me. And then our secretary said, Cam's looking for you. So I called him and I missed him. So secretary <laughs> called him and he called me back. But, um, you know, it was July. So, you know, I knew nobody had worn uh, 16 for about six years. So it wasn't like I thought about it every day. But, you know, as the years went on and nobody had it on, the possibility crossed my mind. But not in July. <laughs> and so I was at home and he calls me because I'm the president of the alumni. He calls me on occasion, an alumni stuff. That's what I thought it was, you know. And then it, when we finally hooked up, he says, you know, small talk, like how's, how's the family, how's your golf game? And then just blurted it out, said, well, we decided we're going to retire number 16. And I was, what? I just, wow. I just said, what? I didn't think <laughs> I heard him straight. And honestly, I got, uh, you know, as I said many times, I got a little emotional at it, and and uh, which you know you would think that's kind of normal. I'm not usually that type of guy to start getting emotional, but my wife uh, came home five minutes later, thought somebody died. She said, "What's wrong? Like, Why are like, you crying?" <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, a shock, and I, he caught me off guard totally, totally. How's your golf game? Oh yeah, we're retiring your number. Gotta yeah. go. Yeah, he, he, he set me up. He set me up. I'm thinking, oh really, not very good. And uh, you know, <laughs> you're thinking about that nine iron. You're like, you know, out of the sand trap. Oh. Hey, by the way, Nifty number sixteen is going up. Excuse me. Yeah. yeah. What? I right? <laughs> now was sixteen the number that you you picked or that they just gave you? And you're like, well, this is my number. I picked it because uh, a it was available, and b the Derek Sanderson. Derek, oh, Derek oh, and I right. played together in New York my rookie year. And 
it's another great story. Roundabout, he actually was responsible. He didn't even know this for getting me traded to Boston. <laughs> or getting me traded, period. But <laughs> well, if you got time, I'll tell you a quick story. But, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Derek I want to hear this oh, one. It was, it was the 70s. I had hair down on my shoulders, and they thought I was having too much fun in New York, which I was having some, some fun. And, uh, <laughs> but when you're on a winning team, it really doesn't matter too much. You know, they, they look by it. But when you're losing, you know, they look at everything. So this, the, my second year was the year of the big trade. They fired Emil Francis. They traded Derek. And then they traded uh, for Espo and Vadney for Park and Rattel and Zanussi. So um, I actually got, got a chance to play on a line with Phil Esposito, which you know, was a great honor when he came to New York. But our team never really gelled that year. So our second coach was um, uh, Ron Stewart, a former NHL player with the Leafs. I, I watched him when I was growing up in Toronto. And then they fired him because we weren't doing well. And they brought in the, the, old, the tough guy from the, man, from the Montreal Canadiens, John Ferguson, uh, who works with the Bruins now. And so just before John came in, um, there was an article put in the paper that the reason they traded Derek was he was getting two of the younger players into training problems. <laughs> Rick Middleton and Ron Greshner. They they uh, they set up. They put our names in the friggin' paper. Nice. He's, already, he's already gone for a month. He's in St. Louis. So I like. I don't think that was right. So I didn't say anything right away. But some reporter came in one night and asked me about it. And I, I, he wasn't a beat reporter. I should have known better. But I was, you know, in my second year in the league. Next day, a guy hands me the New York Post. He says, take a look. And I open it up. And big inch high headlines. Middleton takes shot at Boss. Oh. Because <laughs> I said that Bill Jennings, the owner, believed uh, oh. such gossip because it wasn't true. That to was be traded next day. Bye. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that was the start of it. And then yeah. Mon came in and, you know, he thought guys were taking injuries. He kicked the doctors out of the dressing room. Oh, God. That was the the thing and then uh then we're statistically out of the playoffs and we're in vancouver and for some reason the rangers always beat vancouver it was like oh it didn't matter and we weren't even in the playoffs now so the guys happened to go out the night before the game a little late and i was actually the first guy back and i was hungry i grabbed the sandwich and walked into the hotel vancouver which is a block long and there's like three different entrances so i'm thinking oh, i'll sneak in this way and I go in, and who do I want run into smack in the middle of the lobby? It's like John Ferguson. Oh. And, and, and he, Hi. he says, You better get a friggin' ad trick tomorrow. And you smell the lovely from that. So I said, oh, Well, I usually don't play too bad in Vancouver, John. <laughs> you better get a ad trick. So I tell the guys on the team, <laughs> and I did get one, I got one in the first period. And everybody stands up on the bench going, two more, two more. <laughs> so there's other things that happen too. But by the end of the year, um, from what I read in Espo's book, he wanted one of his old wingers. It wasn't like Espo wanted to get rid of me. And and the Bruins had soured on Kenny Hodge, I guess, look, you know, looking back. And, and so they made the trade, even though Kenny was 10 years old. And they just wanted to get me out of New York to save my life.
And he played for one more year, and you went on to have an unbelievable career. Talk about a, a, well, a flip-flop. You know, that helps. So I had a lot of time in front of me, but I could have got traded to Winnipeg, which, you know, I might have ended my career. The Jets. Yeah, I, I, was, I had a no trade. The only, the, only, the only team, the only city I didn't want to be traded to was Winnipeg. So I don't know. <laughs> Imagine owning the Winnipeg Jets and like, what is really? You don't want to come here? <laughs> But luckily, I got traded to Boston. It was a godsend. You know, could have happened. Could have gone anywhere. And nobody wants to get traded. I had, you know, dreams of ticker tape parades. I mean, the Bruins and the Rangers played for the Cup in 72. I got drafted the next year. I went yeah. to training camp, and I couldn't crack the lineup because they still had a Stanley Cup caliber team. Yeah. I went to Providence. And then by 75, they were a team in turmoil. They were changing everything. But they made it back by 79. When uh, the too many men on the ice with Don Cherry, um, uh, we would have played the Rangers for the Stanley Cup. I scored oh. four, four minutes to go to go up four three, and then Lafleur scored with uh, we had too many men on the ice. He scored with a minute to go, and they beat us in overtime. Or we were playing the Rangers for the Cup in '79. Then you 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 ended up in Boston, and then you and your new team ended up going back to New York, and then they went into the stands to fight the Rangers fans to stick up for you. That was the next year. Right? <laughs> it wasn't anything to do with me. And if you want to know what you're in the film, happened, if you really want to know what happened, was that um, Esposito had a break. We had a, we were up six five. We we're up by a goal. I don't know how this happened, but with five seconds to go in the game, Esposito's got a breakaway on Cheevers. And Cheesy stopped him, and we won 6-5. So Espo takes his stick and smashes it on the ice as in Espo fashion and storms off. So I jumped over the boards and tapped Cheesy on the pads, and the Zamboni doors are right there to go to the dressing room. So I start walking down the, the carpet, long walk to, in Madison Square to the dressing room, and Cheesy and Mike Melberry. So we're about halfway to the dressing room, and we hear the fans going nuts. We turn around. Nobody's coming. So Mike and I, I don't, think Cheesy, I don't think Cheesy ran back out. <laughs> Mike and I ran back out, and I got up the first level, and I look over here. I see Terry lying on top of a guy, and I, I didn't see the guy up here originally. But Mike must have. So Mike kept running up the stairs, and the guy's, the guy's down between the seats with his legs in the air. He couldn't even get – he had no clue what happened. He just figured wow. And they took the shoe off and started hitting them with the shoe. Oh, yeah, yeah, the shoe. We called it the hush puppy incident. That's right. And, uh, the hush puppy. And they sued the brewer. The two guys were brothers. And they, the first guy, and the camera never picked this up, he leaned, the glass was low in those days. He leaned over the glass and hit, I think it was Stan Jonathan or, or Secord. A brawl was going to break out any second. And he hit him and he grabbed the stick. Yep. So when Terry saw him with the stick, he didn't know if he was going to hit a player or a fan. And that's why Terry went over. Then the guy's brother came running down and jumped on Terry. So P Peter McNabb saw that. So Peter went over. The guy ran back up the stairs. Peter just grabbed him and threw him. And he ended up in between. And it took about 15 seconds. I mean, that was, that was, nobody got hospitalized or anything. But it looked right. I can't even imagine that Bang. happening these days. No way. In the in the era of you know everyone's got a camera on their phone and this it, the world's just gotten more litigious. You know, just it would just it would be blown way way out of proportion. And you know what though, to me that's like that's getting your money's true. worth. That was oh my true. god! The camera, the camera never picked up the original hit. 
Yeah. They don't look like, oh, there's Terry O'Reilly again going up. <laughs> well, yeah. well, come on. There's some validity to that. Right. <laughs> A little reputation well, there, if baby. You know, if you know Terry personally, though, you know, the last thing he would do is go beat up a fan, you know. Yeah. But he's still intimidating because I remember one time I was at uh, I was at Kowloon with you and Terry O'Reilly and a few other people and I had never had sushi and you and Terry were like, you've never had to su- eat it. And I was like, OK, <laughs> when Terry O'Reilly says eat the sushi, you eat the sushi. Right. You eat it, yeah, you eat it, yeah. Well, he was a captain, so you follow what the captain says. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, this has been pretty amazing. Nifty, yeah. thank you so much for, oh, my for pleasure, uh, coming on to the Breaking the Ice podcast and and uh, and telling and sharing your stories and your opinions and and uh, all about the stories, you know. That. Yeah. Oh, congratulations on an amazing thank career too. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, and also, you got a. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was gonna say, are you allowed to talk about the movie? Yeah. What? Since, what movie? Since I'm in it. No. <laughs> what? Oh, no. What happened was that. Um, Back in 02, I got asked, well, actually in 01, I got asked if I'd coach the U.S. National Sled Hockey Team. Yeah. And if you don't know what sled hockey was, because I didn't. And uh, what happened was their team, um, the coach quit after the World Championships in 2000. They didn't have a coach. They're going into Salt Lake City in 2002 in the Paralympics. Right. Uh, as the host team. And they'd only ever won one game in their history. And they were going to be the sixth seed at a sixteen last seed because they only ever won one game. So they, they, they built me up with that information. Then they asked me if I want to coach. And I said, well, I'm thinking, oh, shit, I don't think the Olympics is going to be calling me anytime soon. I'm almost 50. And <laughs> I thought I had to answer right away. But honest to God, I had never seen sled hockey. They asked, they, you know what sled hockey is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, oh, yeah. Yes. But anyway, to make a long story short, um, I, I accepted the job. We had our selection camp in Buffalo, New York uh, in uh, August 01. Uh, 30 guys showed up, had to pick 15 for the team. And uh, some pretty good guys out there, but I didn't know the game, so I, I, I didn't know how to compare them. And we were supposed to play in a tournament in Montreal on in September 01 uh, with Japan, Canada, and us, and 9-11 happened. We were supposed to go up there on September 13th. So they sent uh, Japan home, flew them home. Uh, we called uh, an emergency uh, uh, camp three weeks after 9-11 because we didn't have another one till the end of October. I'm like, we only got six months with the worst team in sled hockey to go in and not get embarrassed in front of our own fans. We got to do something. So we called another camp. And you remember what not, that was like. You know, nobody wanted to get on an airplane. The right. airplane yeah. were vacant. Every guy showed up from all over the country. Not one guy refused to, to, to fly. And they all showed up in Buffalo. And we only had about six camps, one in each city where the guys lived. Dallas, Buffalo, uh, Dallas, Boston, Minnesota. We went back to Salt Lake City, Chicago. And uh, then we went in, uh, into Salt Lake in uh, March of 2002. The last seed again. Nobody's seen it. We never played anybody for six months. Nobody's seen it. And we ended up winning the gold medal. Yeah. Nice. With, a, with a coach who never coached sled hockey before. Right. Didn't even know what it was when they right the coach, right? And exactly. you end up with the gold. That's the an amazing The very first start. time I was on the ice with him was a little camp. It wasn't, I wasn't, I hadn't been named yet. I hadn't been sanctioned yet as the head coach. So they sent me to Tampa, Florida of all things. And to this day, I don't know why Tampa. But we had the crack ice time at six o'clock in the morning. And the hotel was right, it was a side street, I remember. And 
hotel was right right down the street. So I go over early and I get on the ice and you, know, you blow the whistle, speed up and the whistle go the other way. And then I blew the whistle, I went backwards. And they all stopped and looked at me. And I went, shit, they don't go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> so and, then, good, and that's what the movie's about. That one. We got a good laugh. But the rest of the game was pretty much the same. No red line, you know, like they do now. You know, same sick guy. But the thing is that you only dress 12 guys. They only dress two lines, four defense, and two goalies. Oh, okay. And that's it. So if you get an injury, you don't have any. You right. got three guys in the stands, extras. But you weren't allowed in those days to dress them. I don't know if they can today. But since then, we were my my assistant coach Tommy Moulton, good friend, who's also involved with the movie. Josh knows him. Um, uh, his uh, wife is a De Niro, so we're trying to get uh, Bob to like make the movie for us. Hey, my God, that'd be he's awesome. a De Niro. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> it's not uh, bad to know a De Niro if you're doing Hollywood stuff no no exactly so we don't know where it's going to go but where we're at right now is uh, we have a a, a group uh, from Massachusetts because initially we we're going to make it an indie film that try to raise as little money as possible and get this done by the 22 Olympics and Paralympics well, right. um, we're past the point right now to be able to do that so we're just going to try to make this the biggest and best movie we can and we're actually recently got some studios like like Tribeca, Bob's uh, studio and such we're talking to. So we're hoping, and that way, from what we're told is, if you get an A-list director, they'll attract an A-list mm -hmm. actor, and then the money is going to go up, and it's going to become bigger. So, you know, uh, as we joked, like four years ago, we started this, and um, another partner of ours, Gary Brandt, said he's a business guy as opposed to me. Uh, Tommy's a business guy too, but. Gary said, I set up a plan. We thought we'd bang this out in about nine months. That was four years ago. <laughs> right. Never. So we learned a lot about the movie business, but we're past the point of no return now. We're making this movie one way. Awesome. Well, it's a story later. that should be told. We're, yeah, we're going to use the national team guys to do the hockey on ice scenes because you can't do right. oh, yeah. sled hockey. No. And then we're going to have the, what we're hoping we're going to have is the. Is the is the most disabled actors in a movie ever. We're going to use Good for you. We're not making up fake CGI stuff. There's yep. a whole union, I'm told, of actors with disabilities in Hollywood, and we're going to hire them to play their doubles. Uh, from what I know about it, and, um, and we're, we're hoping to set a record. That's cool. And it's going to be called The Real Mir Miracle on Us. Stop sledding the movie, but. <laughs> If you want to check it out. I have an idea. Why don't you call it Hey Nifty? They don't go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a good title. That'll be the book. I mean, it's like, I didn't know. I didn't even know what this was 20 minutes ago. <laughs> don't go backwards. <laughs> oh, so I, I said, Why don't you try it? They were all like, uh, uh, uh. All, right, all right, forget it. <laughs> now, if you had the choice, who would you pick to play you? Yeah. Well, everybody, you know, naively, we're joking because. You know, when you get an A-list actor, it costs you millions. And we're, you know, we'd be lucky if we made if we get got one or two million to do an indie. That's what we were looking at initially. But we always joke, you know, why not the Boston guys? You know, uh, uh, Lenny. Lenny, Lenny Clark. Lenny, do it. He's a little too old, or I would have thought of Lenny. <laughs> Careful, you know? he'll kick your ass. He's in good shape these days. Oh, I know. I, he's, 
he showed me his six pack. You see, I know he he's loves going off his. He pack. loves pulling his shirt up. I yeah. said, Lenny, I got a wine rack. You got a six pack. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, Damon or or Wahlberg would be great. You know, but they they ask for a lot of money, and it doesn't have to be them. But being Boston guys, you know, we thought maybe they'd like to do it. But it's all scheduling. It's all money. Yeah. You know, so we're at the point where. You know, it, we'd love it if just if a studio would just grab it and take it. Right. Hey, look, it. if you know one of the Dineros, maybe. Yeah. You never know. But, you yeah, know, a year ago, we weren't here. Now we're here. So, Congrats. Thanks. We'll see where it goes. We'll keep you posted. Yeah, that's please. awesome. Because yeah. that's, 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 a, that's a good story. That's a Can we be extras story. in the movie? Well, what's good? Yeah. yeah. You can, we were doing online virtual uh, uh, casting. You could have done, uh, you could go on tough sledding the movie. I, look, I can't go backwards either. So I'm perfect. Still open. <laughs> I'm perfect. I'm all in. <laughs> I think it's still open. That's awesome. Thanks but, so much uh, for coming on today, Nifty. This has been really you. cool. Really, really cool. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Josh. I'm glad that you're doing well. Yeah, it was good. Good to hear from you again. It's been a while. You, uh, you're gonna be a father soon. I am. Yes. Surprisingly, in May. So. <laughs> My son in in Seattle had uh, twin boys a little over a year ago. Identical. Oh, congrats! Wow. So he, he named them Bear and Hawk. No way. That's awesome. <laughs> Bear Middleton and Hawk Middleton. Oh yeah! Wow. I can't wait till they play sports. That's yeah. Awesome. Those are sports names. And they're identical. Sure. They'll grow up playing on the same team for a while. <laughs> Hot. The, <laughs> the new uh, Seattle Kraken team uh, is building a new practice facility in Seattle, ten minutes from their house. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, oh, perfect. So new rinks there, so when they're old enough, they're a little over a year now. They're born on Halloween, so we can call you Grandpa Nifty now. Grandpa Nifty, yeah, call me Grandpa. Yeah, it'll <laughs> be the Nifty. second coming of the Sindeen twins. I, I don't <laughs> mind it now. I don't mind Grandpa. That's awesome! Congratulations. Thank Sounds you. like things are good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stay healthy. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you too. And uh, you have uh, Bruins Alumni TV now, so people, you're still doing alumni games, and people yeah, can check it out. Five. We got them in the can. They're on BruinsAlumni.com. Uh, the one-hour shows. They're not just watching a bunch of old guys skate around slow. <laughs> five great charities. Our last one was the Light Foundation, Matt Light Foundation. Oh, nice. And we got five games scheduled for after. Uh, uh, hopefully get one or two more. Yeah. That's awesome. great. So check it out. Yeah. All awesome. right. Very cool. Thanks, Nifty. Thanks, right. Nifty. We appreciate it, man. You guys take care. All the best. Thanks, Grandpa Nifty. We'll yeah. Do it again. When the movies uh, get closer, we'll come back on. And talk yeah, please. Love Perfect. it. Perfect. Yes. Keep right. us posted. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Thank Nifty. You. See you later. You got to be in that movie, Josh. <laughs> hey, I'm not actually disabled. Then, then. Well. I did have scoliosis, but I mean, I don't know if that'll cut it. <laughs> Just walk in and be like, Nifty, I can't go backwards either. So you're fine. <laughs> he knows he's seen me play. He's just a tough to go forward. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, that was great. That was awesome. Right. Solid. Old stories. That, what That's was it? Hawk and Bear? Those, Hawk and those bear. are not fucking around names. Uh, no. Hawk Middleton. Oh, that's right? a good hockey name too. Oh, Hawk, they got Middleton. Sports. You just can't have a name like that and you know be like no disrespect, but be an accountant. No, you know that no, doesn't. Your look name good is Hawk, Hawk Middleton. Middleton, accountant. You know. No. <laughs> what do you think, Pacandis? I liked it. Do you even like hockey? I do. I don't follow it as much, but I do like it. Okay. All right. He did have a question for Rick Middleton, but he texted me and said Isaiah already asked him. So. Ah, what was it? 
uh, about the 51 goal season in the trophy that he won. Right. That's a tough group. I didn't throw, I didn't throw the retired piece in because I was just like going, there's some, I mean, obviously a Stanley cup would be ideal, but co-captain with Ray Bork had to have been really cool. Yeah. Yeah, You're obsessed with Ray Bork. Well, obviously he was on the team where I first got interested in, in hockey, you know, in in the mid eighties. And, uh, and it was just like, that's when I first became totally, you know, I was like, Oh my God, why haven't I been watching this? <laughs> you know, back on TV 38. Also, yeah. And then yeah, TV 38. And they also had Derek Sanderson as the color guy, yes. which is infinitely entertaining. Oh and my God. Was, Fred Cusick oh, yeah. and Derek Sanderson were yeah, amazing. They were the best. They were like the Don and, and Jerry, you know, uh, of, yes. uh, you know, of, of oh. hockey. and, and uh, it was great listening to Derek Sanderson's keys to the game. You know, mm-hmm. every game was like skate faster than the other guy, <laughs> score more goals than the other team. Most Those likely, he was shit faced. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> and he did the Bradleys commercials, which I always thought. Oh my Bradley. God. You know, he's like, you know, at Bradleys they give you the best price, and, and they go match any price in town for the best deal, and that sounds pretty good. You know what I mean? You know, like you throw in that little Derek Sanderson like wink at you, you know, and stuff. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was a different guy than had a show on Playboy or whatever he had. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, very different guy. Yeah. Oh, that was definitely when I started. I was it was it was probably early 80s right around that, but Fred and Derek on on TV 38. It was fucking awesome. Yeah. Fred was such an anchor because he had to deal with Derek. Derek like floating off somewhere. Floating off somewhere like that. And Derek Sanderson's shit faced on vodka today. We're here at the Boston Garden as the Canadians come to town. Derek's down on the ice beating the shit out of fans. And that's why they retired Nifty 16 and not Derek's. Right. Right. (laughs) Now I I wanted to ask him about that, but I didn't I also didn't want to put him on the spot because of like just the way people clip things. But I wanted to ask right. him his thoughts on Willie O'Ree's number getting retired. Oh, right. He yeah. broke the color barrier in in the NHL and he played for the Bruins, number 22. But I feel like it's, I feel like for such a long time, I was like, why don't they retire his number? He's the Jackie yeah, Robinson up. of hockey. Like, why don't they retire it? And I feel like just because they're doing it this year when it's like a political move, I feel like yes. it's an even bigger slap in the face to him. You know what? I totally... I totally hear that, Josh. I have to agree with you on that. Why they're choosing this particular year. Right. You know, and it seems like you're right that they're taking advantage of a situation. That looks like worse than being because Jackie Robinson's number is up in every ballpark in the country. Yes. Everywhere. And it has been for a long, long time. And And like what Nifty was saying that they, they took 16 out of the locker room for like maybe six years before they retired it. And I, they gave someone number 22 earlier in training camp. So I was like, they weren't even thinking about it. And they were like, oh, you know, you know, it would be a good, good that's move. That's bad PR. Yeah. That's just bad PR. No, that's, not, that's, that's, just, that's a good observation. Absolutely. They could have retired his number any other year and made a big deal about it across the right. entire league, just yeah. like Jackie Robinson. It would have been, it would have been. Yeah, that would have been an acceptable conversation. Doing it now, I just think looks bad. I feel like yeah. now it's be, being like, we're going to retire your number because of the color of your skin. Not, oh, <laughs> no, not good. No, you know, yeah, right, Josh. That's what I'm saying. They're like taking advantage of a situation for the yeah. wrong reason. I don't, I don't know if asking him. That, he, might, he may have had to kind of take a pass on that because he's obviously working with the organization. It's a touchy subject. Yeah. It's a little touchy. A little political, you think? Yeah. Buck Undies, did you take a ton of notes? I did. You're a good man. 
I also Did called him speak? earlier and he was he was sweating profusely because he was pumping iron. Now he seems yeah. a little tired. <laughs> I like my body hurts. I want to lie down. I've been up since like four, so yeah. You know what's good for recovery is um Molson Verdor. Yeah. That's <laughs> Okay. You're, you're replenishing, you know, it has grains in it. So you're, you're okay. replenishing that. And that's an important protein. I think Tito's is good. A lot of potatoes, it's got a lot of water. Well, the, the, you know, beer has more water in it than vodka. Okay. So you need that water to expedite the alcohol through your system to, you know, expand your blood vessels, to keep that blood flowing. And then you get less soreness that way. Uh, fuck on these. Did you not know that Dr. Shoe was on the show? Again, I am not a doctor. <laughs> Nor do I play one on this. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but Shoe might play a doctor in a movie called Tough Sledding about Rick That's Middleton, right. Canadian <laughs> kid coaching the USA. I'm the team trainer. <laughs> I had no idea they couldn't go backwards. Really, they're on sleds. That was that was so great. <laughs> Oops. Oops. <laughs> Again. <laughs> That was right, cool. Should we, should we thank the sponsors before we get out of here? All right, you guys. All right, guys. Enjoy. All right. See ya. Oh, oh hi, there's baby. a dog. Oh, hi, baby. Oh, hi, baby. All right. I'll see you guys later. All right. See ya. All right.